the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, and with me today is another special guest. We have Scott Asai. He is a TEDx soft skills leader. We're very happy to have him on. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. You know, you and I connected uh, a while back and we've kept in touch throughout the, the pandemic. Why don't we start off by asking, what do you currently do? How would you explain what you currently do for the listeners? Sure. So I would say in simple terms, what I do is I help managers become leaders through soft skills and primarily through talks, workshops, sometimes coaching. But really when it comes down to it, because I was a manager before and I've always loved the concept of leadership, it's fun for me to be able to equip leaders with the tools, in this case, soft skills, to be able to really make that jump from sort of good to great leader. Um, and I think over the past you know, couple of years during COVID, I think what we realized is that there's been a decrease in soft skills, not an increase. And with technology continually evolving, I think there's the, the need more so to be really adequate and even very strong in soft skills. And so I really enjoy helping companies and managers do that. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and from my experience as well, it's, it's definitely needed. Uh, but I'm curious, in your experience, how did you, I mean, you mentioned that during the pandemic, uh, soft skills kind of taken a step back. Is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, everyone was isolated. They were at home. They're doing a lot of video calls maybe not really in contact with people. I think, you know, the way I describe soft skills is it's kind of like a muscle, you know, when you don't use it, you can't develop it, it sort of atrophies. So I think that by being locked in our houses and not really getting out and mingling with people in the office, uh, I think people sort of deferred to texting and messaging and emails and it's just not the same, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just curious if, if in your in your experiences, have you had any firsthand reports of this from your, your trainees or in any of your experiences? Well, I think, you know, so what I did was the timing of it wasn't ideal, but I did a TED talk in February of 2020 in Hawaii. And when I got my recording back, I wanted to hit the scene and sort of do these talks. And of course, COVID hit in March of 2020. And so that kind of shut things down. So I immediately went to the technology industry because I felt like they were going to adapt mm -hmm. the best. And they did. They were able to take in-person conferences and throw them to, you know, uh, virtual ones. And I was able to speak at those and sort of get my feet wet. Um, and so I think really what happened was there was actually an opportunity to connect with more people virtually than ever before, say like via LinkedIn, I could reach out to someone and I don't need to go through a gatekeeper because you're going to talk to me from your house. <laughs> and people weren't actually as familiar with Zoom back then as they are now. Now it's kind of just like, oh, if you don't know Zoom, like where have you been? But, you know, a month into this, people are like, what's Zoom? Like, how do you even use that? And uh, for me, fortunately, I actually had worked a job maybe six or seven years prior to that, where I actually managed a team remotely. And our primary tool was Zoom. So I really felt like I had an advantage when things kind of kicked off. Yeah, now a soft skills trainer, that's not something that you you hear every day. That's not it's not something a, a high school guidance counselor, I would imagine, would advise uh, students to go into. So so tell us, how'd you get into that? Was it something you always wanted to do or what's the story there? 
Yeah, so I would say in a lot of ways, like most careers, I think people's careers are not very linear at all. You know, they kind of zigzag and they're all over the place. And we want to believe that they're point A to point B, but they're really not. They look like a big, messy line for the most part. Uh, for me, I actually started a business about 15 years ago doing coaching. And really what I realized maybe three to five years from now was that whenever I did speaking, although I did it reluctantly, it was the best marketing tool for me in terms of getting coaching clients, in terms of getting speaking opportunities. And so it really was a business decision for me to go that route. And ironically, speaking is something probably a decade ago that I really feared. And so I really had to get over that fear. And now I do it for a living, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but um, I think that what I realized is not only was my talk, my TED talk on soft skills, but what I started to realize too is that with the generations coming up, there is a, there's a dependence upon technology. And that made sort of this face-to-face -face conversation and having these interpersonal skills as almost like, like a nuance or something that was almost foreign to some people. And it's something that I grew up with. I, I, I kind of felt it was common sense, but now you have to be careful these days to call things common sense because not everybody is there. So yeah. I would say in a way I kind of fell into it. And then I think technology I just went toward because I felt like not because I consider myself in the tech industry by any means. I can't code anything. I can't do a site or an app. But what I really felt I was lacking in the technology industry was an emphasis on soft skills. And anyone who's a developer or engineer knows that if you ever want to be a manager or move up into the executive suite, you're going to have to learn to be able to communicate well with people. And so I saw an opening for myself and I've just sort of jumped in there and tried to take advantage of it since. Well, it sounds like it's, it's working for you. It sounds like it's going great. Is it going well? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's up and down. I think as a business owner, we want to believe that we're going to be optimistic and things are going well all the time. But you and I both know that all the entrepreneur books that are out there represent less than 1% of what really happens, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a overnight success. It's probably, you know, decades in the making. And for me, it's been up and down. And I think right now we're, at least in the States, we're sort of in a somewhat of a recession to a degree. And so it's, it's a little bit challenging, I would say, but I take note from what happened in 08, 09 and say to myself, well, you could sit back and wait for this thing to pass. Or while everyone else is sitting back and waiting for things to pass, you can get out there and do stuff. And so I've just tried to stay active and get out there and network harder, do more events, uh, get on things like this, you know, like your podcast, things like that. Uh, because I just feel like, you know, most of marketing is about timing, not about our timing, but about the mm -hmm. customer's timing. And you just want to be on someone's radar so that when they're ready to make a move, they think of you first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said earlier, really, it, it struck me. So many people were only shown the the outliers, uh, like you said, in, in a book or on the news or in any real capacity. The outlier case is always highlighted to us. And it's almost as if that becomes the standard somehow. And take, like you said, uh, public speaking, 90 something percent, I think I forget the latest stats, but people have speaking anxiety. But they look at one person who's an outlier and say, like this person, he never, he's never afraid to speak. You're like, why can't I be like that? It's like, well, because that you're in the ninety percent of majority. You know what I mean? So right. I, yeah, I think there's something to that, and I think that people kind of get a little bit sucked into that mindset of focusing on uh, being the outlier rather than the majority of folks who become successful, like you said, the non-linear route. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in your experience as, as a soft skills leader, what have you found to be the most in-demand soft skill if there's so many of them? 
Yeah. So I would say I'm going to base it upon what, you know, sort of the top three requested topics that I get. Um, I would say in order, they are communications. That'd be number one. Leadership, uh, not a surprise, number two. And I would say emotional intelligence is is very close at number three. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I think communication overall, you could even say that soft skills is all about communication. So therefore, it makes sense that that is kind of almost the umbrella soft skill that everything falls underneath. Um, leadership, I think, is something that we're seeing more of a importance on because once again, I, I can make the argument that the difference between a, a good and great manager is their soft skill level, right? How well do they communicate with people? How well do they you know, delegate, give orders, uh, so on and so forth, right? Uh, problem solve to a degree, right? And then there's emotional intelligence, which I would really put there up with empathy in terms of being able to read people, uh, knowing how to understand and observe, uh, actively listen, things like that, where EQ is having almost more of an importance nowadays in the corporate world than IQ is, because mm -hmm. it's so much about, you know, if, if you want IQ, just higher AI or automation, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we're, as humans, we're always going to lose against that, right? So I, I believe that we're at a point in time where soft skills are really the differentiator that make us human versus going against robots, AI and automation, which we're going to lose against, you know? So mm -hmm. why fight that fight when you don't need to be in the competition? Because, you know, as humans, we're going to always going to be superior in those soft skill areas. Yeah, I know that stands to reason. Going back on a, your, your point one communication, which is something near and dear to my heart, as the listeners know, when you say communication, that kind of encompasses a lot. Is it more of the, the presentations and the public speaking, or do you mean communications like conflict resolution, uh, interpersonal, or, or maybe email written communication? What do you find is the most in demand or requested communication training? I mean, I think for managers, definitely communication in terms of you know, delivery, brevity, clarity, mm. right? So interpersonal skills, I would say a close right behind that is going to be like email, written communication. There's a lot of miscommunication that happens because people are not writing professionally or they're not writing clear. Mm. And it goes a long way. Like I would say that for myself, and you probably do a little bit of this too, is like when we write newsletters or we write posts, you know, we we would hope that people actually hear our voice in those things. So when we read something, we want to feel like, hey, I could hear Ryan talk or I could hear Scott talk, right? Like sure. if it's if it's totally different, then it's almost like, well, did you write this? Like, do you have a ghostwriter? Do you yeah. have an assistant that does this? Because it doesn't sound like you, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I think those things are really key. Um, I would say active listening is probably more important than actually talking because I feel like a lot of times what happens is that when you're listening to someone as the receiver of a message, if you can't restate and clarify what the person is saying, you could be going in one direction, the center is going in another direction, and then when it's time to say, hey, I thought I assigned this to you and this is the job you're supposed to do, and you say, well, yeah, I did it, but you don't realize that you're talking about two separate things. And so when there's not that sort of clarity or restating or validating what is being said in that active listening phase, then the communication hits a big, big road bump. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's tough because we're on the, we're on the same page with so many things. It's tough to uh, kind of go back and forth. But I guess the addendum, the follow up question is: 
you mentioned the three skills that are in demand from your end mm -hmm. and businesses looking for communication, leadership, and, and EQ. Mm -hmm. What do you think, in, in your experience, are most organizations lacking now? Well, I, I've seen a big surge in leaders lacking empathy. Mm. Um, call it compassion, call it EQ, whatever you want to, but we'll, we'll say empathy for this case. And I think the reason why is leaders are expected to deliver, right? They, they're expected to deliver results. But when you're a leader of a team, you have to take responsibility for your team's mistakes. And I actually believe that when you have success, you need to sort of defer that success to them. Now, that sounds like a really thankless job. And I think if most people knew what it takes to be a leader, they probably wouldn't sign up for the job in the first place. But with that being said, I think it's really important for you know managers to know this ahead of time. And there's just so many skills that that managers are not taught when they get promoted internally, you know, and it's almost like companies literally take people outside of their sweet spot and they put them in a role because they did a good job at it. And now they're sort of thrown in the fire and they have no idea what to do. So in, in these types of situations, uh, what, what do you find the remedy in, in your experience? What have you found that you could share with them and help them kind of level up to get to that point where they can be the effective manager? Yeah, so I mean, with the empathy and with the active listening, I think that's a key skill to teach. I think it doesn't necessarily come natural. You know, we we are so quick to fix with our minds when information is coming at us. We're waiting for the person to shut up so we could tell them what to do. And, you know, as much as, as we want to believe we don't do that, we do, right? And we have to turn that switch off. It's really difficult to do that. So I think with soft skills, it really comes with trying to understand where the person is coming from and really having this curious mentality in terms of trying to understand what they're trying to say before you have a knee, sort of a knee jerk reaction in terms of telling them, Hey, this is how you fix it. <laughs> right. I think that that's, that's a natural thing. And because sometimes for managers, our necks are on the line in terms of the results of the outcome, we feel like we need to deliver right away. And so therefore we tend to cut people off or we have these meetings where we just talk and we don't let anyone else talk. Right. Or we feel like, Hey, well, because it's going to be on me anyway, why do I need any input from anybody else? I need, I'm the one who's going to be responsible in, in the first place. But while we do that, we tend to lose a lot of trust from our people mm -hmm. and we lose the brain power in the room because we're not collaborating. And so what ends up happening is we sort of create this wall and the gap between us and our team as leaders really, really tends to widen a lot. Yeah. I've, I've seen that as well as you're talking. I just, had a flashback in my mind because so many leaders, like you said, when they start to hear the beginning of an issue, they're already jumping to, okay, do this. Here's a solution. Just plug and play. And you know, it comes from the, they get into the habit of just putting out fires, putting out fires all day long or seeing how productive they can be, right? How much they can get done rather than trying to actually uh, cultivate a positive uh, a culture a positive team a team that's willing to kind of you know lean on each other and and strengthen as opposed to just we just need to execute a today and then b tomorrow yeah. and then c the next day but i yeah. did see a leader once and that that was kind of like an eye-opening moment for me i saw a leader actually stop and have an interaction with with uh, one of their team members and when they didn't understand they followed up 
And then when it was clarified and it was over, and I was just kind of like a fly on the wall for this, the the leader asked, okay, so how's, how's your family doing? And then they continued on that and they kind of got a little bit personal and said, I know your son had a hockey game, how do you do? And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, you know, why is like this, this leader's time's at a premium, you know, and they're, they're now they're going off script and going into the personal. And after a lot of reflection, it kind of, it dawned on me that that is a better investment of his time. Like he'll get more of a return on that from that employee, from that team member than they would if they just spent the initial 30 seconds force feeding them the answer, right? It's unfortunate that doesn't happen more often, I guess, but I don't know, in your experience, does that ring true to you or am I off base here? No, no, you're, you're spot on. And I would say to your point, I think one thing that skill-wise managers need to learn, and this is it's not their fault. I think it's just like structuring um, something that they do is a lot of managers don't know how to run one-on-one meetings, right? <laughs> like, because it's not something that you learn in school, right? Mm. It's not something you learn at a company, right? The same type of orientation that a new employee gets, managers don't get. So you're, you get a promotion, you get a raise and you get more money. And it's like, okay, now go do a job that you have no idea how to do. And I think as an example, like when I used to run one-on-one meetings, I, there was a time where I managed a team of like 30 people, obviously the quality piece couldn't be super high because those 30 half an hour meetings that I would have every week took 75% of my time at work. Right now, fortunately, I really enjoyed those meetings. So it wasn't like a burden to me, but I will say though, and I had, I had some pushback from my supervisor at the time. I would spend 50% of my time on relational stuff, mm-hmm. getting to know them, talking about their personal life, you know, uh, hearing about what's going on, following up from a previous conversation. And the pushback that I got was like, well, you're spending too much time about personal stuff. And, I, and my response back to her was, well, that's the reason why I can talk about tough stuff with them. That's, a why I can, that's the reason why I can challenge them. Mm-hmm. I've earned the right to be able to say the tough things that they normally would take defensive or get defensive about because I've, I've established that relationship. And so I think that the reason why I push on soft skills so much in terms of leadership and managerial uh, duties is, is the fact that when push comes to shove, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much power you have. The reason why people leave jobs is because they hate their managers. And the reason why they hate their managers is because there's no connection built, right? I can argue to say that there's more loyalty to a manager than there is to a company. Oh yeah. And it's no, it's no, um, you know, uh, there's no question that the stat that says 75% of people leave because of a poor manager, not because of money, that, that stat says it all, right? Like Mm. that's all I need to know. I just need to know that if there is one key relationship at work that has to be right, it's gotta be the employee manager relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen that as well i've seen where a manager will will leave they'll go to another company and within months a handful four five six of their team members transition over to that company too mm-hmm. because you like you said they they know what it's like to work for a good manager and someone right. who supports them and who they have a connection with and who they trust and like those things unfortunately nowadays are not as common as as we'd hope yeah. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. So in your experience training people in soft skills, is there anything that you've ever, has ever surprised you? Anything ever you ever thought you knew and then you got into it and started talking with them and you realized, you know what, maybe this, maybe this isn't exactly 100% on. 
You know, I think that there there tends to be a, a focus a lot on what people's, you know, lack of capabilities are, right? Oh, so-and-so's not good at this. You get a report from a supervisor ahead of time and say, oh, I just want to warn you, so-and-so's not good at this. And yeah, granted, a lot of times it's pretty spot on, but I think it's as as someone who works with managers and as someone who works as a coach too at certain points is, are you focusing on that per- person's strengths? Are, are you going to set them up to succeed, right? And you may ask like, well, how do I figure out that person's strengths? Well, it goes back to the relational part, right? Like you got to ask and you got to observe and you got to be able to find out what those things are. And I feel like if you are a, a truly well-oiled machine as a manager, essentially you're sitting back and watching people thrive because you put them in positions to succeed. So I like the, the visual that uh, Gallup gives about um, strengths. They use it the context of a bus. They say, it's not just enough to be on the right bus, but you have to be on the right seat on the right bus. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times at companies, what happens is that we can say, hey, this company is great. I love what they're doing. I'm all about their mission, so on and so forth. But the fulfillment or the engagement piece is not that high because they're not doing the right role. And the reason they're not doing the right role is because you don't know them well enough to put them in the right role. And so think of it as like a conductor at an orchestra. You're not actually playing any of the instruments, but you're the one who sort of puts people in positions so they can they can play really, really well, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that, you know, I was under the impression that, hey, it's just sort of plug and play. And when you sit in a managerial position, you sort of tell people what to do. But I... I actually feel like it's more about serving and it's more about figuring out what people are really good at. And if you allow them to do the things that they're really good at, and then you pick up slack in areas, maybe they're not, or you put someone else in areas where they're not, then it becomes a situation where it's like, Hey, like most, most things, why wouldn't you want to be confident in what you do? Why wouldn't you want to see results in the areas that you're assigned Mm -hmm. to, you know? And so I think it really comes back to knowing your people and, once again, the only way you're going to get to know your people is you got to invest in them and talk to them. Yeah, for sure. And why do you think uh, why do you think so many people don't? Why do you think this is such a neglected area? Well, to be fair, I think the reason why people get promoted to manage managers sometimes it's for the wrong reasons. I think that a lot of times you have a individual contributor who's sort of an all star, let's say, right, using a sports analogy, and they get recognized for that because they're really good at what they do, right? Now, the jump between an all-star and an MVP or a individual contributor and a manager is a huge jump because now the skills that got you here are not going to serve you anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to take a back seat and sort of be behind the scenes, whereas before you were like the shining star, mm-hmm. right? And And I think that there, there is a ego shift that happens if you do it right. Mm-hmm. You have to go back from someone who is used to getting attention and recognition to someone who doesn't get any of that. In fact, mm-hmm. if anything, you get the blame mm-hmm. for other people's mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it takes a, a, this sort of humility and it takes a, you know, a really shift in skills. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate about doing, you know, manager workshops and individual coaching with them is to help them realize like, hey, you may have the hardest job at your company because once again, you have a boss and you are a boss. And so you're sort of in the middle of the sandwich, whether you like it or not. And so you're giving orders and you're also taking orders. And that's not the case for a lot of people. So 
I think if people know what they were getting into and they had the proper training, so I'll, I'll highlight the proper training part. Because people are not properly trained, I think a lot of times, to be honest, I think a lot of managers are set up to fail. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I love that analogy. I mean, sports fits 100%, like you said, at the all-star of the team, you know, becoming the coach. And coaching players is a totally different skill set than doing it yourself, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah I, I use that a lot actually in my own in my own uh, time coaching and training. And I use the analogy of American football, Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick never threw a pass in his life. Like he never, I don't even think he played college football. He played high school, but he's mm-hmm. regarded as the greatest coach of all time. Right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's a completely different skill set. But for some reason, that logic, that understanding doesn't translate to organizations, to business and to the professional world, right? We think, well, you can do X, right? Then then you should be able to do Y, no problem, right? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Scott, we're wrapping up here. And again, we thank you so much for your time. But the last question I got to ask you, we ask all of our guests on the podcast, what advice would you give to an 18, 19 year old, Scott Asai, bright eyed, world is your oyster, what would you tell that person? So fortunately, I actually have a, a, a pretty strong recommendation. I would say that when you are at that point where you're about to graduate high school, you have to ask yourself the question, what do I want to do? And that's a question that not a lot of high school students ask and or get asked by high school guidance counselors. The reason why I think it's important is because that's going to determine whether college is going to be the next step for you or not. So I grew up in an age where if you didn't go to college, people looked at you like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. But nowadays, when people are at that point, actually, and, and this is I'm a little bit biased because my kids are homeschooled and my wife is a teacher. But we say to our kids, if you can't prove to us why we should give you money to go to college, you're not getting it. Because my feel is that a lot of times traditional education doesn't give you the, the real world skills you're going to need to succeed in life. So as an example, a lot of people go into college, they get a, they get a major, they declare a major because they have to declare one, right? They graduate, they, they pick a job that's outside of their major, they spend the next five years paying off student loans and debt. Now they're 30 years old, they have no idea what they want to do, right? And they're back at square one. And my, my thought is like, wait a second, if that was going to be the case, why didn't you bypass college, maybe do a gap year, potentially start working somewhere? How else are you going to know what you want to do? besides trial and error, right, mm-hmm. and experience. And while you're there making money instead of giving money or, or paying loans, right, that's going to help you figure out what, you're, what you want to do. And sometimes figuring out what you don't want to do is as important as figuring out what you do want to do, uh, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so, and so I feel like, you know, because experience is the best teacher, you know, we can't assume that, that the next step is going to be like college in this case, right? And yes, I am knocking a little bit. I have a bachelor's and master's degree myself. So, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself necessarily a hypocrite. I feel like I can say this because I've gone through it. Um, but I think it's it's important for, you know, someone that age to really start asking themselves those hard questions probably earlier on, maybe even 15 or 16. And you don't have to have the answer that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Because last time I checked, people change jobs like every year. <laughs> so it doesn't mean like whatever you choose, you're going to be doing until you're 60 or 70 years old. Mm-hmm. It just means what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. Right. And even if that job is a stepping stone to what you want to get, what did you learn during that time? What skills did you acquire that you can take on? 
right? I wish I would have looked at my career like that when I was younger, because I feel like if I did, I would have made smarter decisions earlier on in life. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of wisdom right there. Uh, I speak for my listening base. We thank you for that. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, I know more people who have a career now in something they didn't go to school for, rather than those that have a career in their program area they went to higher education for. Like, yeah. it's not even close. It's not like 51, 49. It's like 10 to 1. Yeah, a good friend of mine went for went to school and got a degree in archaeology. Now as a police officer, mm. show me show me the correlation there. You know, like, I think it's, there's a lot of that, and yeah, I think a, a lot of people make decisions based on the path that's laid out, what they think. Maybe a little bit of social pressure too, peer yeah. pressure, a little, yeah, or social norms, I guess, to a degree. Yeah, yeah, but that that's great. No, thank you for sharing that. And Scott, if the folks out there, if they want to get in touch with you, where can we point them? Where should they go? I would say the best uh, way to get a hold of me is just search my name on LinkedIn. Uh, the last time I checked, I'm the only Scott Asai on there. So go ahead and connect with me there. You can also go to my website, which is just my name, scottasai.com. But to be honest, uh, I'm a little bit more accessible on LinkedIn because I'm very active on there. So uh, reach out. I promise that I'll accept your request. Uh, and then I, I will get back to you on message. Uh, Ryan can, can verify that. Um, and we can just continue a conversation or start a conversation there. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll definitely, we'll leave it in the, the links in the show notes. And my listeners know I'm a keynote speaker. Scott is a great keynote speaker as well. And I liked one of your, one of your keynotes really, it struck me too. It was the, the do or die one. What was the, what was the title of that keynote that you have? The, the five, it was like do or die five soft skills that managers need or something like that. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. Yeah. Cause I, cause I feel like a lot of times, you know, once again, managers don't get that training that they really need before they get on the job or while they're on the job. And so it's it's a lot to ask someone just to figure it out. Uh, so I feel like for me, because I've been a manager before and I've had a lot of leadership positions before, I'm trying to teach the things that I wish I knew when I started because no one taught me. So therefore, mm -hmm. if I can save you a lot of stress and companies a lot of money, then, then I, I'd like to do that. Because once again, your managers are going to control your retention and your turnover rate at a company. And so if you don't get that position right, man, you're throwing a lot of money down the drain. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So it's Scott and last name for those, uh, those of you out there who want to reach him on LinkedIn is ASAI. Scott, thanks so much again for, for coming on the show. It was a, it was a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And for all you listeners out there, we wish you success in your future speaking endeavors. Mm -hmm.